there's only one subject in town and that's the SNP leadership competition. Um, and never mind just who the candidates are in their jostling for a position, but actually what are the main issues behind it all? Is it actually a stance on the independence referendum, the uh, idea of a proxy referendum at the next general election? Is it the gender reform issue? Um, is it any other kind of stance about the economy? Is it right versus left? Um, it's very hard to know which will actually come to the fore and that kind of makes this fairly fascinating. So today's podcast very largely looks at that, plus claims mostly made by the mainstream media that Labour is about to sweep up uh, in the wake of uh, disagreements within the SNP. Those are the headlines. Now for the podcast. Hi chums and welcome to this week's Leslie Reddick podcast and breaking news. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. Thank you very much, Pat. uh, uh, Yes, I resisted doing uh, crushed tomatoes and stew, bread and butter in the gutter. Happy birthday to you, which is, and you won't get dumps. It's always always great to be brought back to the playground, isn't it? Yes, I I sort of started the day having to go for my usual monthly blood test. So, you know, (laughs) which which actually is very cheery in in a weird kind of way. But anyway. And I'm going for a very jolly lunch uh, after after this, so it'll be it'll be a grand day. And you know, Jing's nothing much else to talk about. No, 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 no. It was my wee sister's birthday yesterday. Yeah, so there you go. February the twentieth, February the twenty-first, and it's Shrove Tuesday. Yes, mm-hmm. preparation for Lent, followed by Ash if, Wednesday. Yes, yes. indeed. You're, I can see where you're going with some of oh, this. Oh yes, sneaky wee sod. Ah, talking about Ash Wednesday because we were wondering when Ash Reagan was going to pop her head above the parapet because blimey, it's really taken off uh, with the runners and riders. We've got Humza Youssef, Ash Reagan, Kate Forbes, and the person I thought was going to be the uh, sort of like the establishment candidate, the solid, sober citizen, uh, Angus Robertson, deciding not to stand because uh, because of young family commitments. And I just wonder, you know, was that a, a slight knock at Miss Forbes, uh, Miss Forbes with a with a recent return from maternity? No, but yes, and she's and she's not back from maternity. That is a ah. bit of it. I think that is a bit of an issue that that she might not be back from maternity actually, even if she wins immediately. But still, you know, it's a small point. Yes, but, um, but here we I go. Don't, no, I don't. I don't think that is. Uh, I don't think that was any sort of slap around to you know. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, I care more about my kids than you do because you're standing. Right. Um. I, I don't think that was it. I'm not quite sure what went into that, but um. No. Uh. You know, I. Angus has. Angus is one of these guys who absolutely fronts up as as sort of you know massively sort of just as you say you know responsible gravitasy yep. kind of you know whatever um i think i think people often feel he's not just quite as energetic uh, a politician as some <laughs> no. of his colleagues and in the end you know that just you know just look at what <laughs> what the last first minister had to do it was 100 percent 24 7 you know there's no kind of half measures to it so i guess if you don't feel that you can if you're if you're also having to deal with a young family, you know, you just look at it and think, well, I just don't mm. know if I can, you know, I can step into those shoes. But anyway, um, yes, it's been quite astonishing. And perhaps the most astonishing thing is kind of the the debate around Kate Forbes, quite honestly, yeah. obviously. Um, I mean, these I've been kind of watching this slightly from a bit of a distance um, in that I was quite busy with the rest of the Time for Scotland law and trying to organise an event for March the 19th, actually, which was going to be a chance for the Yes movement to come out before there had been a leader chosen. 
um, and using the date vacated by them quite symbolically, as it were, so that the yes movement literally filled the gap um, to to basically say we want independence. You know, this is kind of, you know, the, the narrative I had all last week in the seven interviews I did on variously Jeremy Vine, uh, the PM program. And I can't even remember. It's all a bit of a blur now. But um, the same point was put to me. I mean, very point blank by Jeremy Vine, uh, which was you're not going to see independence in your lifetime now, are you? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that's the kind of that's where they're going with this. Um, Absolutely. You know, they 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 praise Nicola to bury independence, you know. Um, So it's it sort of struck me that that the only response to that is is for people to get off their butts and show that 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 we do still support independence. You know, that one hasn't gone away and just don't you don't come it, you know, Um, we were all just ready to go for it. I have to say with a slightly blooming weary heart, because every time I think, great, that's, uh, you know, cold nights or days outside the parliament over for a couple of months. Another big thing comes along, (laughs) you know. So after being absolutely drenched um, on January the 31st, uh, you know, March 19th, pretty quick turnaround. But on the other hand, it was the one that, you know, looked like it needed to happen. And actually a lot of yes groups around the country because we we contacted everybody to try and see what levels of support might be like, because there's just no point in horsing along with this unless, you know, if, if we're not going to get a good turnout, then actually you could do quite a lot of damage, really, by suggesting that if this is a, a measure of how much people care and sort of 300 people turn up, oops, you know, that wasn't a good thing to do. So it looked like there was quite a lot of support. And then yesterday there was a piece in The National that a different group, Yes to Indy, which is um, also slightly confusingly the Yes to group in Facebook, um, has has actually quietly been, just like us quietly, um, has has also been organising and has bagged April the 1st, has already spoke to the council, has got the, you know, date locked in. I've got to say, I did say to them, I don't know that doing something on April Fool's Day is just the mm. best sort of timing, basically. But um, nonetheless, they're going ahead with that. So we thought, well, you know, there's no point in trying to get everybody out to, you know, two marches within two weeks. So we basically spent most of um, the last two days, three days, just sort of figuring out what to do. And then just yesterday thought this is, you know, we just need to stand back and and just encourage people to do the April the 1st event. Um, so that's by way of saying to everyone who who did get in touch and was ready to get buses hired and all that kind of thing, thank you so much for you know being willing to do that because it seems that bus hire has also absolutely escalated in cost since COVID for reasons I'm not, well, I suppose it's just the, you know, it's the fuel, but even so. Um, so thank you, everybody. But there's, you know, we just, we can't do this just having sort of schisms and, you know, little you know, groups doing things right cheek by yeah. with one another. There just needs to be one outing. So uh, that slightly, you know, was preoccupying me as all of this was beginning to kind of work its way to the public domain. But I think Kate Kate's comments about gay, uh, about equal marriage, um, I don't think there's much getting around that. I think that really no. ends her kind of case to be first minister, I've got to say. And not just because of, I mean, we could go through endlessly the what about this, what about that, what about, you know, I see a hair was set running by uh, Ewan McCollum on on, uh, Twitter yesterday um, saying that uh, Humza Yousaf had also not voted in the final vote for for, uh, equal marriage. 
Um, Humza was actually off in Pakistan, I can't remember if it was Pakistan, but it was certainly out of the country defending someone who was a British Scottish citizen who was in death mm-hmm. row along with Amar Anwar. So, mm, and actually in the earlier vote, he did vote for equal marriage. I then see somebody suggesting that this was just a suitable excuse for him to be out of the country at the time because he'd had a backlash from his own community. I mean, honestly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the point the point is what people are able to say now. And actually, you know, when you listen just on this one issue, though, when you listen to Humza talking about, you know, um, I, my rights are secured by your rights. And, uh, you, you know, the, 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 con- the bit that he had on Good Morning Scotland and various places yeah. about the concept of equality and human rights is one of the best expressions of it I've heard in quite a long time. So that sounds to me like that's that's pretty genuine. I just think Kate's in it's a it's a just a big difficulty to look at the joyfulness of, of many gay people finally able to express their love openly to one another and consider that somebody would have denied them that possibility. You know, it's sort of it, it's a weird one because also I heard Kate at one point talking about um, you know, when she was, this point was put to her over and over again, um, that the vote was taken 10 years ago. And and kind of it makes you think, well, that's kind of a bit of a measure of how out of step you are, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that like most of us, after a long change in attitudes in Scotland about um, homosexuality, uh, you know, we've we've reached a place where 10 years ago, the parliament was was hugely together on deciding to move forward on equal marriage. This is now a decade later and you're still back where everyone wasn't 10 years ago, which is kind of, I don't know that that works at all, really. But um, I don't know. What do, what do you think? Well, I mean, that that that, that was the thing. I thought the, the difficulty is that Kate Forbes is an incredibly articulate great communicator and has been putting herself forward as the, the the competent, solid, experienced person. And you can see her. I mean, she, she, she handled the questions on Good Morning Scotland, I thought, absolutely excellently from Martin Gaza within her own framework of reference. But she is completely out of step with Scottish public opinion on this. And the, the, the great chat has always been about, you know, in terms of leadership elections, that you've actually, you know, the worry is that party members... Uh, yeah, look at the Liz Truss example. Party members may be out of step with the the electorate. In this case, I think party members will be completely in step with the electorate on uh, equal marriage. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just an absolute given. I know no one now, genuinely. And uh, this goes, guys, I go to the football with. You would have been expected to be, you know, anti-deluvian in mm-hmm. their, their perspectives on this. Nobody questions it anymore. It's a complete given. It's very open. It's 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 part of you, Sarah, that, that's actually made Scotland a much better country. And it's where it's happened everywhere else. And, and apparently one of our own, uh, our own team turned around and said, well, she's completely effed this up. Because yeah. at, at and it that seems point, that there's actually been, you know, there's three people. And this is what yeah. puzzles me as well, is why these three yes. did support her in the first place. Because exactly. she wasn't, to be fair to her, she was not making any secret of her opposition no. to equal marriage. So how did it take Kieran Jenkins from Channel 4 actually asking her and her replying with a voice <laughs> to make people suddenly realise that this one wasn't going to fly? You know, it's, it seems very odd to me because it it's so... What's, what seems to be happening here is people have decided for all sorts of different reasons who they want. 
and then mm-hmm. after the fact are sort of arranging <laughs> the yes. the arguments to suit. And I mean, fit to be fair, that's probably how people approach most decisions in mm-hmm. life, you know. But um, the thing that really struck me actually on one of those uh, was Hannah Bardell, uh, who's the MP for uh, Livingston, mm-hmm. and and what she, I, th- I thought what she was she was quite right in what she. She, she she did a tweet. It was really kind of careful where she said, I believe firmly in respectful discourse. I have a level of respect for Kate being open and direct. Um, Hannah's gay herself um, mm-hmm. and uh, and why she holds her views. But I disagree with her. Right. Yeah. And so she'd gone in to then say that, you know, she when she saw that uh, Kate had actually signed the letter uh, on the GRA bill, uh, she'd, she'd actually gone to meet her and discuss things and she'd listened and she said, I always respected that. But this is the thing. She's sort of what Hannah's saying is that the way she's talking at the moment didn't say, I realise that all my, you know, gay lesbian friends are, are actually going to find this quite hard to hear. But she didn't actually, you know, reach out in the way she explained her thinking to all the people who would just be slightly aghast at hearing what it sounds like to them is the clock being rolled back. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine <clears throat> um, who, who who lives in the Highlands um had also texted me to say I think she could be wording her responses a lot better and taking the LGBTQIA plus community with her rather than appearing to be against them, which he says I don't genuinely think is true. She uses the love thy neighbour line, which uh, for a free is a big deal. So that's the thing for a for, for a free church member. She might be on the one side of the argument. You know, she might be seeming to be on the sort of liberal line by mm-hmm. <coughs> saying, you know, love thy neighbour as thyself, right? Whereas to everybody else, and this is kind of, I see that uh, the fourth, the tenth uh, article trending on the national at the moment is, who are the free church? You know, so there's a wee bit of brushing up for everybody to go with here. Uh, but well. I think this is the key point. It's how you talk to people. And the thing is, um, <clears throat> Nicola Sturgeon was very good at, at knowing how, if she said something, she could, you know, she could frame it in her mind. If I say this, that will basically hack those guys off. So let's anticipate their hacked offness, pull it into what I'm saying, soften it, yeah. recognize it. I mean, you've got to say that sometimes that's all that happened. You know, it wasn't that there was, a, you know, hugely much more effort put into it than that sometimes. And sometimes it was. But the point is, words matter. And, you know, the, the thing that Nicola was so good at was choosing the right words a lot of the time. So, you know, in the wake of the Brexit vote, she was straight out there saying to all the European citizens in Scotland, if you've made Scotland home, we want you to ch- stay and you're really welcome here. She she knew how they'd be feeling. Um, and this is this is a kind of bit of a straight bat. Now, I appreciate Kate's not had so much time, obviously, in the limelight um, and uh She probably feels quite defensive, clearly, knowing that this is something where she's going to be put on the back foot. But in all that interviews I've heard with her, um, she's just kind of laying out what she thinks. And she's not conceding at all that it would hurt quite a lot of people to hear her say that. And that's what just slightly worries Mm -hmm. me a bit is that, you know, you, you need a lot more circumspection. And it's not just about you, your beliefs. Or anything else, there's whole big sections of the population um, who, who will be completely disheartened by hearing you say what you, you are saying. And if you don't recognize that at this point, you know, I just kind of wonder.
Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's it was it was fun, interesting because I, I it was a, I thought this was a hoot. Fraser Nelson was on Good Morning Scotland, uh, I mean, uh, giving his perspectives on it. He did turn around and say initially that Kate Forbes would be the would be the leader that uh, Conservatives down south would be most worried about. I'll take that with a pinch of salt. But th- th- he went on to say that this is actually an indication of the fact that uh, people with faith would not be welcome. In, in positions of responsibility these days. And Kate Forbes was saying about mainstream Christian beliefs. Well, with all due respect to the Free Presbyterian Church, they do not, they're not plough the mainstream. I mean, if you lead the Westminster Confession, which Kate Forbes has distinguished herself from and said, no, I do not believe this, which actually refers to the Pope as the Antichrist and things like that. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, an, it's, it's a very fundamentalist uh, Calvinist uh, religion. It's very difficult to actually turn around and say how someone in a modern world, no matter what religion they belong to, could actually have these sets of beliefs that are so out of step with the vast majority of people in what is an increasingly secular Scotland. It's just going... But, but I mean, for first of all, just it's the free church she's a member of, not the free Presbyterians, just ah. to get into your pedigree of freeness. Oh, right. uh, the, the Frees were the first breakaway from the mainstream Church of Scotland formed okay. 1843. Um, a large part of why they broke away was actually the Church of Scotland agreeing that landowners should be able to appoint ministers. So mm-hmm. the free church was originally quite a radical uh, land reforming, if you like, almost church um, because it had no physical premises. A lot of the uh, ministers actually conducted services in the open air, which, as anyone who's you know visited the Western Isles will know, was you know that's kind of testing beliefs to begin with. Um, but it it gradually morphed and away from that and into um, a quite a quite sort of prescriptive set of views about literal observation mm-hmm. of the Bible, Old Testament. Uh, the Free Presbyterians, in the parlance, the, pres- the, we- the Frees are known as the We Frees, obviously. The Free Presbyterians are known as the We We Frees. Um, in fact, I'm getting this probably even wrong. It's the, the, the Frees are just the Frees and the Presbyterian, Free Presbyterians are the We Frees. The ah. Free Presbyterians are, are sort of more, <laughs> I hesitate to use the word extreme, but, you know, um, I have so many friends who are in, in the Free Church and in the Free Presbyterian Church, actually, sometimes to my surprise, because they're such cheery kind of general all-rounders. Mm-hmm. And that's not the impression you get, because um, I think it may have changed. But um, Free Presbyterians don't think you should actually use, to, you, know, you should walk to church. You sh- you, they, none of the Free Church believe in the use of hymns. They think psalms are, are uh, the heart music. That's where you get the fabulous presenter-led singing of the free church from because they don't use pianos or any sort of accompaniment. It's the human voice they use. And of course, we all know the thing about the swings being tied up and, you know, not doing stuff on the Sabbath. They are very strict Sabbatarians, the free Presbyterians more so. So, um, and if you want to get into it, there's been further schisms where there's the free church continuing. There'll be two other sects, two other branches of the free church that um, I can't quite remember at the moment. Uh, if you're on the islands, you see quite a plethora of wee places that have suddenly become used as, as churches. So that's kind of the free church. So within the spectrum of the, mm. <laughs> of the free church, the, uh, the the free church movement, if you like, um, the free church itself is probably at the more sort of liberal end of the market. Um, although that is within the perspective of the free church, which itself 
would probably not be seen as a very liberal vehicle. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, like, oh, sorry. that's the problem, you know, because Kate, naturally, if you live somewhere, you see things in that perspective. Um, you know, there's some church, there's some funeral services I've been to. And in fact, one was by a, a, a free church minister where the custom is not to even mention the name of the deceased. Okay. So, you know, it's and and another one, uh, which, I, you know, again, I wasn't allowed because women are not allowed in free Presbyterian circles to get near the graves, to get to the graveside. Um, one where there was quite a lot of castigation of the deceased, which was really quite kind of upsetting to a non participant mm. sort of, you know, set, sort of sensibilities. So anyway, I merely say this, and I know I'll get pelters for all of this because I also know there are free churches that are just not like that at all and are more like a church of Scotland now, to be to be honest. But you do get a bit of a range. So that's your free church. OK, well, as a, if, 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 I, if I may risk this, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa for any errors I may have made from my, my Romanish background on, on, on the analysis there. But what I find is... To move away from that, which is very difficult to move away from, what I find about the Martin Geislin interview was one was that there seems to be a complete focus on social issues. And what is being lost within this are two key things. One, the discussion which has come into it about uh, how we actually progress uh, towards independence, de facto referendum or not. And secondly, where was the discussion of economic and fiscal policy? Where was the discussion about class? which is, seems to be at this point entirely absent. I await for Ash Reagan to step in here with her previous background on the left and uh, her work with, common, uh, work with Commonweal. But that seems to be put to one side. Because, again, when Jim Fairley turned around and said that uh, Kate Forbes is excellent, she's a, you know, she's a centrist that can pull people together. So the, t- the two issues here, what, are we going to get a... a uh, a leadership content that's going to be based entirely upon social attitudes, or are we going to get one which actually gets to the root of the, the, the of the, the situation as, as I see it, which is how do we galvanise and excite and unify the yes movement, unify the, the Scottish National Party, which is the, the political expression of this, and how do we actually get to the point where it's a, where it's about policy and not about process? Well, we're not. You know, it's not right. going to happen. I mean, Peter Morell is running this. There's five weeks to it. There's not enough time. I mean, the, the, the broadcasters might, it might be useful if people, you know, there's a couple of insightful broadcasters around Martin's one of them who could do a quite a probing set of interviews of people because they actually all present with a, a strangely mixed bag of credentials. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you mentioned Ash, who worked for Commonweal. She's actually quite to the right on wanting to restart oil and gas kind of operations or at least protect that workforce yeah. much more um and of course she's the one that hasn't come out yet with a totally worked through and spoken through platform or had engaged you know had an interview so we haven't had her ideas fully probed but um a lot of her her economic profile seems to be really not that sort of left at all uh, and she she has however uh, backing for it sounds like for the de facto referendum idea which yeah. the other two are sort of going about ooh don't think so um so there's that sort of package and then obviously she's also opposed to the gender recognition reform act um along with Kate Forbes so you tell, t- try and tell me where left right is and all of that you know it's really kind of quite hard to say um 
in many respects, Humza is more straightforward in that he, he, I think he always was the leadership preferred candidate. I'm sure I must have said this some other time, because just from the number of things I'd been to where Humza, if not, Nicola wasn't there, Humza was doing the, okay. you know, was fronting it. I remember particularly, actually, um, uh, 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 an event in George Square. God, it must have been some years ago now because it'd be pre-COVID, uh, where Humza was was speaking, and he. I think he kind of ties himself in knots a wee bit sometimes when he's just doing interviews. You know, he's not a concise speaker somehow. Um, but my God, is he good on the stump? I mean, right. I, I, I don't remember a word he said, but I remember standing there with my jaw on the ground thinking, where did this come from? You know, he was just I mean, really, it's quite a different skill to be able to stand in, you know, and command a George Square full of 5000 people as well as he did. And he was brilliant. Um but I've never seen that guy again, yeah. you know, um, because he's <clears throat> he's you know he's right back behind the ministerial thing, and sort of just yeah I don't do you do you have that thing about it when he's speaking you, I just want him to God this sounds so much like a an old martinet but I sort of want him to sit up a bit and just 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 break it all down a bit. Um, actually, Kate Forbes goes almost to the other extreme where she speaks incredibly slowly and really deliberately. In a way, I think I might find eventually <laughs> quite annoying, um, and of course that stat, that is seen by, by people as being eloquent. Um, fine, I, I actually think there's something like being spoken to as if you're a seven-year-old in it, which I find slightly <laughs> grating. But that's that's just me. I just really like people to you know to speak naturally. Um, but to, to try to sort of think there's a couple of key points I'm making and think about colourful ways to make them. And maybe I think Hamza is actually just, you know, as he kind of said in one of his interviews, he said, I've got bags under the bags under the bags on my, on my, under my eyes. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, you know, mm. you, yeah, because you probably he's, he's quite tired. Yeah, because that that's the thing. What what was what was trotted out against him this morning is oh the the claim he was an absolute disaster, both as Justice Secretary and as uh, Health Secretary. You know, so that's the that, that that's what's going to be dragged up against him continually. But maybe he has had the big heavy lifting to do with the with the with being health secretary. So that's that that's one whether he's got the, got the energy. Uh, just to, just to throw into this, uh, an online poll that was done between February the fifteenth and, and the seventeenth, Kate Forbes garnered eighteen percent of SNP voters, forty percent of the public. This is when nobody knew uh, who was just standing. Just slow down there. Are you saying eighteen or eighty? Eighteen. Right. 18 Just of SNP voters. Really? Yeah. So online poll, February the 15th to the 17th, yeah. before anyone knew who was standing, Kate Forbes had 18% of SNP voters support, 14% of the public. Hamza Youssef at that point, 7% of SNP voters, 9% of the public. Today, the last I had a look at, there's a national poll, and at that point, over 12,000 people had voted. Humza Youssef on 19%. Kate Forbes on 37%, Ash Regan, who's only come out and said about the the, the just transition and the uh, India F2 de facto, 44%. Really? Absolutely. That so, was the, sorry, just to, Yes. What was that? What was so, the source? Who was polled that's in that the national, one? That's the national poll. Uh, national poll, read uh, the readers of the national. So right. you read the national, 12,000 people who read the national. 
Hamza, Hamza Youssef, 19 percent. Yeah, I got Kate, that. I was just yeah. looking for the. <clears throat> so basically, you're saying that Ash Reagan, having not said anything, is basically the way it's, I it's actually <laughs> Yes. There you but go. When, <clears throat> just a matter of interest. When was that done, however? Because it I is think currently really... being done. It's currently being done. It's live. So it's, yeah. a, it's a live ongoing poll. And because I'd already voted, I'm not saying who I voted for, because I've already voted, I, I can't go back in and vote again and then see how it's how it's running. So mm. if you want to check on that, you just go in and plump for whoever you want to plump for. And, At that uh, point, it tells you. Yeah. It tells you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I'm uh, sorry to be just pernickety, but um, uh, you're almost making me want to do this as we're speaking. Um, yes, please. But how how many people had actually voted? Could you see over over twelve thousand at that point had voted? Were, had voted, yes. Well, well, that's that's very surprising to me. Yeah, well, it was to me. I mean, now, I... however, that does kind of bring me on to something though, <clears throat> which is um, that that. Uh, that, that Ash's stance on, on the de facto referendum is completely where the movement is. Um, right. I was on uh, a, a very interesting event that Believe in Scotland organised on Saturday. Um, I can't remember if they called it their Congress or whatever, an online event. It had about 270 delegates um, so that each of them were representing um, a, a, a yes group. I think there was three, maybe three per yes group. So, you know, you can figure out how many yes groups there are. Uh, and there was quite a number of of polls done uh, amongst those those you know that the people who were there, and um, suddenly kind of that that statistics just leapt off the blooming screen. But I'm pretty convinced that it was 70% support for the de facto referendum. Wow. Um, and it was actually from pretty much all the speakers who were there as well, which kind of quite surprised me, including Gordon McIntyre Kemp from Business for Scotland, mostly along the lines of. Um, there, there is nothing that's going to hone people's thinking about anything to do with the future. You know, you came back, come back to that question saying, when will we get a, a look at economics and this, that and the next thing and not just social policy? Well, actually, when you're in a de facto referendum, probably, because people just do not, uh, and the media does not move on to the big stuff unless there's big stuff. And you don't get big stuff unless you've got potentially uh, a big vote in front of you. And most of the, the the movement is quite convinced that it's possible to make a, a good set of explanations, a good account of what independence can do in an actual campaign situation where the opposition also have to try to kind of come out with some, um, you know, some opposing view or some contrary view. Mm-hmm. So um, th- there's massive support for getting on with a de facto referendum on the grounds of, well, what else are you kind of going to do? I mean, I'm sure everyone will nod sagely when um, <clears throat> when Kate and Humza kind of say we need to build support. My question is really simple. How are you going to build support? Yeah. And if it is, you know, doing better government, well, let's all just go home then <laughs> because you could be you know you could be here a very long time before either um the the circumstances that allow you to make visible improvements in public delivery change um viz ukraine cost of living crisis westminster settlement you know there's plenty poverty uh you know crises energy crisis westminster benefits regimes can knock yourselves out there you know i mean it, it it'll it'll take some doing to to move those dials and if that's what you really are saying then let's just be honest you're saying this is off the agenda for five years 
And I wish yes. somebody would just say, if that's what you're thinking, let's just have that, please. Because you stop the rest of us hanging about and you, you stop the rest of us thinking that you are, you know, the just around the corner thing went with Nicola. That's the last person who's really able to play. You know, even she was running out of room with that one. But, you know, the, the, the sort of the summer of activism kind of line, nah. The sort of, you know, referendum coming next year, nah. Um, nobody else is really going to be able to play that successfully. So I think I would imagine that's why the the folk who read The National will probably be, obviously, more yes. interested in independence than anything else and more inclined towards activism. And that group was is the same cross section that was at that Believe in Scotland event. And they they definitely were backing a de facto referendum because what else are we going to do as well? You know, um, so we've been through this before, actually. I mean, people will either agree or disagree. But that's where I think it's really kind of quite unnerving to hear uh, such a sort of backseat kind of thing. I mean, I fully understand. I've, you know, really, I went through so many interviews with this being lobbed at me the whole time, you know, that that. Uh, outcomes and you know government instead of independence and all that sort of stuff if you're really not going to be able to stand up to that and make the case that you know independence is a way out of many of the perennial recurring problems of governance in Scotland I mean and somebody just put that for once really well in their answer as opposed to saying you know agreeing and burying their heads and getting knocked back you know into a corner defensively about it then the whole perspective of what the SNP is about changes and, you know, there's people all over the place saying, I mean, Mary Black saying if Kate Forbes is, well, essentially, she's, she's not saying this, but she's just pointing out that people under 35 will find it hard to motivate themselves to run around and distribute leaflets um, in a party that's led by someone who doesn't believe in essentially, get, you know, gay marriage and doesn't 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 sort of have that equality profile. And. I, you know, I guess Mary is completely right because the next generation are much, much more attuned to the question of identity politics and rights than some of the some of the older folk. So there's 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 a lot riding on this now, and um and that's that's a fascinating result, which of course will not get played probably by the mainstream media, who are sort of happier to have these proxy battles about, um, you know, the the important identity aspects of yes. this than the stance on independence. Yeah, well, I mean, my difficulty is I actually want John McLean to be leader of the SNP, but that's that's a ship that sailed many a long time ago, and it's that person is 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 not there. I mean, well, I just reflect. Uh, my my little hope is actually, and it's just it's it, but it's ridiculous. I would still like to see Stephen Flynn change his mind and enter the competition. Um, I know he's in the wrong parliament, um, but he seems to me to have, you know, he had he had the courage to kind of come forward and push for leadership at a time when it was kind of needed in Westminster. He's made a good fist of that. He works well with Mary Black. Um, he's young. Uh, he's vigorous. I would love to see someone like that just come in to the top of the whole thing because he's also somebody who sounds to me like he's, you know, he's, he's used that phrase several times, settling up, not settling down. He's obviously got no experience of government, big, big problem. So he would have to be shored up for a while um, by other folk. But it just feels to me, and I could hear it in a lot of the interviews where people were asking their political correspondents, do you think anyone else will come into the frame? Mm -hmm. And it feels like people are sort of looking around now, having seen the realignment that's being caused um, by Kate Forbes' comments. Uh, and, of course, it will get realigned yet further when we hear Ash Reagan. <laughs> and this is actually not so different from 
I have to say, from the benighted Tory leadership competition, mm -hmm. which just took place over a much longer period. If you remember, Penny Mordaunt was like all the Tories' favourite gal until she spoke. Yes. And suddenly, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, off she went. And of course, the, the rest is uh, is extremely uh, kind of upsetting, pension-destroying, economy-crashing history, thanks to World Liz. So I'm not saying there's many parallels there, and this is a much quicker process, but it's almost like the whole thing that took months to unravel within the Tory party and many, many, you know, tours around the country is all happening incredibly quickly, you know, where someone's popularity has gone, you know, really changed quite considerably in a matter of hours, just on the basis of, well, some predictable, this was always going to come for Kate, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's quite staggering. So. I think Ash has to sort of get in there and, and you know, present her credentials pretty soon. It might be have suited her quite well, actually, not to be in the midst of this melee and just to let the dust settle on this one. Um, uh, and of course, I'd guess that she and and uh, and uh, and Kate Forbes are kind of vying in some of the same territory, really, on the the kind of gender recognition kind of side of it. So in a way, anything, you know, if Kate's if Kate's fortunes fall a little bit, Ash might think that is a better sort of yeah. circumstance for her launch to happen. So but she needs to bloom in launch, you know, because we can't be having even if she's got 47 percent, um, she has to speak. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Meanwhile, meanwhile, lurking in the, 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 the outer reaches of uh, Scottish politics. Uh, it's been Scottish Labour's conference. Keir Starmer came up and had a, had a, had a wee chat. And uh, it, you know, you asked, you posed the question, I think you heard a article, why would a left the centre social democratic, social democratic Scot vote for the current iteration of the Labour Party? Uh, because because I was thinking about it, I mean, I thought the, the, the opportunity for Labour would have been 2017 under uh, Jeremy Corbyn, 2019 under Jeremy Corbyn, and it didn't come about. And what we have now is a, a, a Labour Party for which the, the, the SNP only has to be slightly to the left of to appear to be left wing, which has abandoned its, its principles on Brexit. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's gone back to the mantra of Ed Miliband in 2015, which was all about fiscal responsibility and uh, only spending what we can tax now. Only you know, just going back through and laying down the ground as Miliband did in his tablets of stone, for what looks to be a cacani. We are economically competent. Don't frighten the horses, Labour Party, which I don't, I don't think is at all attractive to people up in Scotland. And what they also forget about is that down in England, there, there is this constituency of floating voters who seem quite happy to switch between Labour and Conservative, Labour and Conservative. The dividing line up here is between those who support independence and those who do not. And they are fighting that corner against the, the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats in that unionist camp. And people, I don't think, are going to be prepared to make that leap across the chasm for a Labour Party which no longer resembles the potential socialist Labour government that Corbyn promised. Yeah, uh, and actually, weirdly, you know, Professor John Curtis agrees, um, and so do the the poll results. Um, there's been two polls done since Nicola Sturgeon's resignation, and there's been a one percent shift in one of them, and the other one no shift in support for the SNP. 
So, I mean, that's so there we that's where we are. Um, I mean, I, I, I'd guess that could change as if there are if there seems to be more trouble at chip, you know, uh, with the, the mm. leadership candidates starting to, you know, not exactly knock lumps out of one another, but obviously have to get to grips with one another's positions and so on. And and perhaps I mean um, I, I'm thinking today being Wednesday are they they're back aren't they today the recess I think is over so um, there'll be prime minister's questions one would imagine um, and we'll probably get onto that with the old Northern Ireland Protocol problems um, but you know tomorrow there'll be first minister's questions when they, Nicola at the helm again now that'll be interesting mm. <laughs> to put it mildly but people this is a sort of interregnum well people sort of know mummy's going but mummy's still there confusingly so um it could well be that once she actually you know demits the stage and she's physically not standing there at dispatch box and somebody else is uh, it's quite possible there could be you know just more of a sense of oh well you know and kind of a bit of disappointment that results in a bit of a shift but where we are at the moment you know even though once again, every commentator seems to be convinced that Labour is absolutely going to clear up, uh, which, again, is based on just a projection of how things work in London, you know, with just no kind of awareness of how that really doesn't work as soon as you get over the border. For the very reason that Labour north and south of the border is captured by Conservative voters. Mm hmm. And um, that there's this is the problem that, you you know, it's like if you're kind of walking along with a whole lot of stuff in your arms. I always do this when I've got logs to bring into the log burning stove. There's always one wee log that you think, I'll just pick <laughs> that one up as well. Bang, the whole lot. The whole goes, lot right? goes, yeah. <laughs> and you're down on your knees picking them all up again. Now, you know, all the parties are like this at the moment. They've got their existing logs, as it were, their existing voters. Um, and they are, you know, a mixed bag. But they also include currently some quite conservative voters, which is hence the tilt of Keir Starmer's party. And the people they're trying to pick up are actually also, in Keir Starmer's case, conservative voters, you know, who are those folk that switched. So you're not going to scare the horses. You are going to sing God Save the King, Queen, whatever monarch. You are going to have the union flag, Jack, whatever, draped around as much as you can. And you are going to put off Republicans, Scots, everybody else that finds that a wee bit yuck um you can't have all the logs in your arms together you can't pick the new ones up from a different pile because you're going to risk dropping the ones that you've got and that problem does not end at the border north of the border here is exactly the same problem for uh, for labor and it was demonstrated really vividly with an interview again by martin geisler on the sunday yes. show where um he was asking anna sarwar about taxes and kind of wasn't Anna Sarwar really quite proud to be living in a part of the UK that has essentially the highest tax base, the most progressive tax system, um, albeit the council tax isn't, but still in the UK. And um, Sarwar said uh, there would be no new tax rises if he becomes prime minister. But, quote, I'm all for a more progressive tax system. Mm. What? So then when he was challenged on that, he basically said that the public objects to having the same outcomes after paying higher taxes. So Scottish Labour would improve outcomes before tackling the taxation system. And as I did mention in the Herald column, as Father Dougal might say, how does that work, Ted? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you improve services without extra funding? When, you know, just look at, we're not saying, and this is, this is again, the running scared of the old uh, stuff that always got thrown at Labour, that they, that they threw money at problems. And the suggestion was there wasn't any sort of, you know, 
there wasn't any method in it. It was just, uh, yeah, more money here, more borrowing there. Just spend, 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 you know. And again, you can't run away from that. You need to stand and talk that one down because therein lies madness, because these guys will pull their punches and try, like Gordon Brown, to at best do stealth funding switches for redistribution. And that is not good enough to get us out of the hole we're in at the moment. That's not good enough. And that retreat from Anna Sarwar there, where he retreated into this nonsensical position about opposing no new tax rises, essentially. Why do we think that would be the case? When you look at opinion polls, the Scots are not unhappy about our progressive tax system. The, the, the top earners tax rises, the two of them, were backed by 58%, opposed by 19%. And when it came to the Scottish government's plan to spend the extra cash raised on health and social care, 73% backed it. So what is the perception problem Sir Anna Sarwar is trying to fix? It sounds to me as if he's very much under instructions not to endorse anything in Scotland that remotely resembles tax and spend, because yes. that will end up being used against Sir Keir fully costed Starmer. And that's the rub. You know, we're not dummies. I mean, he also came out with another wee kicker where he talked about proudly about the conference endorsing having a Scottish arm of yes. Keir Starmer's British energy. Can you actually hear how that sounds to any, you know, anyone who's been on the journey that yesers have been in the last 10 years where the idea of having we, you know, like we branch and yeah, the branch economy where we are back again, the branch office that Joanne Lamont talked about when she she admitted that that's how she was treated by London within her own party. And that helped destroy Scottish Labour in 2007. You never say things about arms and branches and stuff if you're Scottish Labour, because that's the that's where everyone already smells a rat. Uh, so the idea that we've all got to have a Scottish branch of British energy, what will that be like? You know, with a big Union Jack somewhere that's kind of got a tiny little kind of saltar coming out of the corner or something. C catch a grip. <laughs> so it's it's um you know, I don't I don't know at all that this looks like, you know, Labour is coming. There might be some switching going around, you know, tactical voting. This is par for the course now um, at a general election. It apparently is the case that uh, since 1918, albeit this research is four years old. So I don't know if it took in 2019. But hey, they got 80. Tories got 80 seats. We haven't even got 80 seats, you know, in Scotland. Yeah. So that that result was got without us as well. Only four times since 1918 where Scottish uh, votes and seats made a difference to the outcome. So when you know that and you're also being told by everyone that there's going to be such a wholesale shift away from the Tories that the SNP could end up being the official opposition. I don't think it looks to people like you need to worry about the number of seats Labour's going to get. Mm -hmm. You know, people in Scotland will look at that and think, the Tories are going to get an absolute gubbing dancer, right? Yes. Um, and so if they don't need us, now Labour's going around going, oh, well, it might be a little bit closer than that. But then that's a problem for them, because if they have to kind of say, actually, we, it'll all crawl back a bit. You know what the English voter is like. You know, they'll start to kind of panic a little bit. And who knows, Jeremy Corbyn might get out of the cage, specially constructed for him and remind everybody that I used to be in his cabinet again and blah, blah, blah. So actually, we really need you guys. Well, see, that doesn't sound all that confident then, does it? So mm. I think it's tougher for Labour than, you know, than just the two and two equaling four that um, has been put forward here.
Yeah, I mean, I want, want to, to continue the religious theme just now because it's, it's one I remember from from uh, way way back. Uh, it's uh, Sarwar on uh, I'm in favour of progressive tax uh, taxation, but not but not not any income tax rises. Remind me of Saint Augustine who said, "Lord, make me taste and continent." but not just yet you know that that's his but i mean he came up with yeah he, he did he came out with that one again that uh, a labor government is only possible if labor makes gains in scotland so they're, they're they're playing this game and ian murray came in on it as well by saying there will be absolutely no deals done with the snp at all there and there will be no second yeah. independence referendum that's hot you've had it and i mean and again to come back to it well over 70% of the, the Scottish electorate is in favour of rejoining the European Union. How well do they think? And I, if I were the SNP, unlike Jim Sillers, who seems to think that they're becoming a, a referendum party and a pro, uh, pro-EU pro party was not a wise move, I believe that if the SNP hammers this point that we are the only political party in Scotland that actually believes in rejoining the European in the Union. UK, the, actually. In, in the, yes. Well, possibly the Lib Dems uh, have swithered their way back yeah, to it, well, but I, let's I, put I'm, major party in. Major yeah. party. Well, I, yes, exactly. But that's, I think this is an absolute vote winner. And how Sarber can sit there straight face, but mm. he is towing the party line. Absolutely. And it's as clear as the nose on your face that, that that's what he's doing. And it's it's wishful thinking and a very um, Anglo-centric perspective that was that was presented right across the media uh, in in the wake of Nicola Sturgeon's resignation. Some of the stuff was appalling, and I think um, I think well, Ru- just have one wee more comment about Anna Sarwar's mm. stuff because the other thing that strikes me about that that uh, those comments, and this is the thing that will happen, is that all the guns are being directed on the SNP at the moment. Yeah. So you know every aspect of their policy is being you know under the microscope and so on. And Labour are pretty lucky; more people aren't going to their conference. <laughs> actually um having been at one i think it was about five or six years ago there's nobody there um basically but uh, the the thing that he he also said this this business of sort of not raising taxes and and looking to get essentially efficiencies out of the system getting the system to work better before you basically raise taxes how does that wash with trade unions yes you know, I mean, wh- what world are we living in here? There's ev- there's m- m- at points millions of people on strike. There's levels of activism from from unions and therefore humans that had never, you know, been on strike before and have just decided absolutely we're being taken for dummies here by everybody. And you've got your Scottish leader of the Labour Party coming out saying that basically they're not going to touch anything to do with taxation because they want to make economies right. What does economies mean? This is back to cuts. Yeah. And, you know, just lopping bits of expenditure off here, there from let's let's be you know clear about it from systems that are utterly have been sucked dry so that, you know, the, the, we spend less on the health service than practically anyone in Europe. Our pensions are the second worst in the developed world after America. You've got to keep framing this debate up and say, that's what you're happy with, is it, mate? Because yeah. you've got a chance in Scotland with a with an electorate going back to those statistics that's kind of already warmed up to the notion that you need to spend a bit more to get better services and you're not going to take advantage of it and you're the blinking Labour Party. Yeah. Come on. 
Yeah. Anyway, well, right, I'll shut up now. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I'd be intrigued to see how the what the Labour Party say and do uh, in the vote, the, the, the Thursday's vote on the Scottish budget today. I'll, yes, I'll, I'll indeed. Isn't it extraordinary that it's a blooming budget today that we're not even probably yeah. going to really major on? But, you know, the other thing that we probably sort of lauped over, although I don't know if it's being cunningly woven into your plan, Pat, is just this other suggestion that, you know, if what will happen to the partnership with the Greens, depending yes. on who wins. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I, this is where there's obviously people will have a whole lot of different views on that. Um, some of the the opinion polling that was done by Believe in Scotland and, and related during the course of that thing uh, on Saturday was very, very interesting because uh, when it looked and this is not them doing it. This is I'm trying to look and see which polling company it is. But, you know, it's it's a it's a proper polling company. Um, it was looking at likely voting behaviour and um, the Greens were polling extremely well. Yeah, I, saw you know, that, I, yeah. I can't quite see it quickly enough, mm-hmm. but, you know, they were they had almost doubled their percentage of their vote or and perhaps even seats at a Scottish election. So it's not like, you know, people are looking again. The media is looking at the bottle deposit return scheme. I've got to say that um, <laughs> when the, the news of Nicola's resignation came out, um, a bit of me, well, most of me was kind of pretty shocked and a little tiny bit of me thought thank god i don't have to try and make sense of the bottle <laughs> deposit return scheme you know um but you know that's not what's being taken from it by a lot of people is just greens or in i don't know what they take but perhaps just greens are in government stuff's been held down um at that particular event ross greer was representing the the greens and actually did a really good contribution and i did suggest to him he should get out more because he is their constitution spokesperson. I haven't heard a dickie bird from him for a very long time. And this is a trouble. They're all in Hollywood in that world. Uh, so nonetheless, would uh, Kate Forbes, you know, it sounds like the Greens would basically walk out if Kate Forbes walked in. Mm. Um, I think that does look very likely. Would Having, they throw Ash Reagan? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, mm. I mean... This is this is based on nothing more than just the, the attempts to organise blooming rallies outside Holyrood uh, meant that there was no point at which I could put a Green and an Alba speaker on at the same time okay. because Alba opposed the Gender Recognition Reform Act. And it was that hard lined, just mm-hmm. just not there's just talk to the hand. We're not doing it. So I think that the Greens are very uh, when they have red lines, just to mix all our colours up here. Uh, the green red lines <laughs> mm-hmm. are very are very solid red lines. You know, they don't come and go on them very much at all. Uh, and, you know, who knows behind the scenes what strains there might be. There might be reasons why, you know, uh, both parties have for various reasons. Got, you know, they might have reasons that they want to just kind of get out of the partnership stuff. The, the, the other thing that you highlighted, you know, this mention of should we ever get to a conversation about actual economics? Um, you know, Kate had also said something about that the Greens would have to just live with her views on the economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <clears throat> don't think anybody uh, really quite takes to being told it's, you know, it, it's my way or the highway when you're in a sort of, you know, agreement like that, albeit that the Greens are the infinitely smaller party, you know. But again, it's the way you phrase it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the way she phrased that is quite a sort of I'm laying the law down to these bams. And basically, you know, if you think you're going to get loads of 
you know, me kind of condemning oil and gas and kind of not not backing free ports, you can think again, albeit the Greens were part of a government that supported these green free ports that are just not green or you know, terribly useful. So far, Ken's. Okay. Talking about Greens, uh, Rishi Sunak hoped to present uh, to Parliament today the uh, an agreement with the European Union Northern Ireland Protocol, which was based around uh, red and green lanes. No, green lanes. Well done, that choice. Oh yeah. I thought we were going to get green into Rishi Sunak, but oh, yes, you see, you see. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, it's, yeah, it's. it's not doesn't make me morally superior. It just means I've got a very strange kind of mind. But the the the, the Northern Ireland Protocol deal. Um, Penny Morden on the Coonsberg show. I thought that, again to go back to her was saying that after the Boris Johnson intervention, uh, saying you know this is this is not a good thing. You know we're going to have to think all oh, go back. Okay, she said no, he, he wasn't unhelpful, and her perspective on it seemed to be, uh, yeah, we've got to listen to what the DUP says. Uh, and the DUP have come up with these seven points that have got to be met. Fundamentally, they, they, they're, they're, they're again the Northern Ireland Protocol. They're not terribly keen, but they're, not, they're totally opposed to the European Court of Justice having any role within it, all based upon two things, one of which is they're part of the UK, they're British, and it's British laws for British people. And secondly, that it might break the Belfast the Good Friday Agreement that they, they didn't they, 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 they studiously avoided getting involved in completely. And the DUP running scared completely of the TUV because the DUP replaced the Ulster Unionists after their opposition to the to the Good Friday Belfast Agreement, and they're terrified about the TUV replacing them. But the reality is that I think that Rishi Sunak is running not scared of the DUP, but utterly terrified and shows his weakness, running scared of the European Research Group, the ERG, the hardline Brexiters. And that is why he's not going to present this, is because he's, he thinks that, that he's going to be completely undermined his leadership if he actually presents this. And I'll be intrigued to see how he escapes from this. And it won't be with one mighty bound he was free. I think he's on a hiding. He's on an absolute hiding with this. Um, and uh, there is no way to square the circle with the ERG. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it, it's it's actually getting quite uh, quite difficult for dear old Rishi, in that Suella Braverman sounds like she's leading a bit of a kind of open mm. rebellion now. She's uh, This is technically over Sunak saying that he would think of scrapping the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, which is slowly working its way th- yeah. through the through the par- Houses of Parliament, which was the one that was basically saying, see if you guys don't back down, we're just going to chip the whole thing out of the, out of the side. So they had got that bill rumbling along so that essentially they were using that as leverage in that tender loving way that they do negotiations <laughs> um, against the EU by sort of saying we haven't actually got <clears throat> legislative backing for throwing the the, the kind of uh, the bill, uh, the whole international agreement, the pram. Uh, so Rishi Sunak had said a few weeks ago that he was thinking of just letting, you know, scrapping the progress of that bill, which was essentially trying to meet the also conciliatory remarks made by the Irish government uh, mm-hmm. that perhaps they'd been a wee bit, you know, stiff on some of the interpretations of of kind of, you know, goods passing over. And, that you know, the, the, so both sides were kind of shimmying around a wee bit, trying to go, OK, you give a wee bit, I give a wee bit. 
But no, 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 that's now going to cause a massive, you know, like the, 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 the absolute old guard, you know, like the blooming home guard in terms of their kind of modernity of thinking, um, led by our dear Suella Braverman, is now sort of calling on Sunak to, to rethink scrapping it. This is quite hard to keep in your mind. So thus maintain mm-hmm. the Northern Ireland Protocol, backed by such you know, profound thinkers as Lord Frost, oh, the yeah. guy who's just a bam uh, that led the Brexit <laughs> negotiations. And they're all apparently prepared to walk. So, you know, both Newsnight and The Times have heard that one or more cabinet ministers are prepared to walk over this one if he decides to basically scrap the bill uh, and thus scrap, you know, scrap the conciliation that he's involved in at the moment. So, um, that's quite a that is quite mm. a tough one. And apparently, he's been holding meetings throughout the day with all of them. Jacob Rees-Mogg. I mean, these useless relics um, who are once again, along with the DUP, not the majority party in Northern Ireland anymore. Yeah, right. Even these minority people are holding the whole blinking country to ransom, basically. Um, but there, so we're back to the beginning because that's exactly where we were with uh, Theresa May, with all of them, that the, t- the, the tail was very much wagging the dog. So um, it, it does look really, really pretty poor. And the other thing is a timing kind of issue, because um, not only is there a sort of things needing to get done this week to be able to uh, fill in a timetable such that the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, which I think is April. I don't know if it's April the first. That would be an odd date, but it could be. It could be just around the beginning of April. Um, they need to get going on it. And also, um, even this week, there's nobody wants to crash into Friday, which is the anniversary of, of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So it seems like you know there's huge pressure on Rishi Sunak to sort of you know manage to pull something out of the sack by by you know tomorrow basically uh when he's mm-hmm. you know when he's standing up at prime minister's questions and there's no prediction that that's likely to happen at all partly because i mean i do remember seeing before a lot of um comment that that he and his posse had done absolutely nothing to sort of essentially warm up the dup now that could be a kind of bit of a strange idea anyway for people because these guys are just still no surrender you know yeah um so it's very possible that you don't warm them up, but you don't. It's the same old thing again. But you, you show fear by not trying. You can't show fear to these guys. <laughs> you know, you've got to go in. You've got to be confident about what you're doing. And ignoring people until the last minutes just tells them that you're basically papping it. Yeah. You know, and Northern so, Ireland voted remain. I mean, uh, along with Scotland, not not but voted remain. Yeah. But uh yeah, so we'll see what what happens with uh, with Rishi. Uh, and by the way, I'm not going to let uh, the uh, deposit return scheme go unmentioned, other than the fact that thank goodness we didn't you don't have to talk about it anymore because we did discuss last week what happened with these barcodes, and uh, I did a bit of research, which I I, I, I WhatsApp to you, and I'm going to put this out on the airwaves. Producers are encouraged to label items destined for sale in Scotland with a special barcode. If they don't, there will be a surcharge of just over 1p per item. So that was it. That's the barcode sorted out. That's it. No more until the the legislation actually comes before the, the Scottish Parliament. We get the debates upon it and see what happens there. But 
fingers crossed, Leslie, that we will see folk next week. There will be no alarms, no excursions, nothing coming out of the ether to disturb our uh, to disturb our schedule. And uh, our next Leslie Riddick podcast will be next Tuesday. Happy birthday, Leslie, again. And thank you and to everyone who sent me good wishes on all the different ways that you do. That was lovely. Yep. And we'll see you next week, chums. 